If you will, join with me in turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to sort of skip around a bit in this passage, but I want you to physically turn there. If you're able to, there should be a Bible that is on your, uh, your row there. You can grab that underneath the basket, and uh, I'd like for you to look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Tomorrow is New Year's Day. Tomorrow... Is just another day, but it doesn't have to be. It can be the dawning of a new day for you, for me, for us all, if we are found in Christ. And I believe that is what Paul is saying here. Although he may not have a new year in mind, I believe this is such an appropriate passage for us to look over this morning briefly and think about and consider for a new year. Notice these words in 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, who inspired these very words through St. Paul, may you now inspire these words, breathe upon them now, to make them life and warm to our hearts. Make your home in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a tent, each of us. The tent, of course, is our body. And it's really interesting, the interplay of the words that Paul decides to use, even in the first verse, tent, building, and house. This should immediately, as an Old Testament scholar, as Paul was, and as a Jew, which he knew his Old Testament well, these should be very recognizable spaces. Tent, of course, represents the tabernacle in the Old Testament. This is their first place to worship together, remember? They're given this mandate at Sinai to set up a tent in order to worship together. And they, they pack the tent up, down, and all around the desert. Every place they go, they set it up anew in order to worship together. And of course... The tent is overtaken finally by the Solomonic Temple. Envisioned by David, but then finally built by his son Solomon, which will last all the way down to 586 B.C. 
when old Nebuchadnezzar comes in and burns it to the ground and bulldozes the place. Of course, it was built back in a, in a small form after that. And then, as you know, Herod the Great puts some money into it as well as a Roman and makes it one of the wonders of the world during Jesus' time. And then it is destroyed again in 70 A.D. and has not been built back since. But notice, Paul doesn't stop with the building, does he? He goes on to something more personal, which is the house, which I can't help but think immediately of Revelation, where Jesus is seen knocking at a home. He's not unzipping a tent, tabernacle. He's not, you know, coming in the gate of the temple, but instead the door of a home. And of course, all of this can represent us. We have a tent of this building, and God wants to tabernacle, if you will, with us. He wants to make His dwelling, His space in the world, in us as humans. Which is unfathomable in some sense that we could host God in us. I mean, you look around the room and we're fairly ordinary people. Now, some of you are very extraordinary, but most of us are ordinary. And yet we can have God living in us? That's a thought, isn't it? It's really a thought that should should guide all of our following and discipleship of Jesus Christ. And and, and honestly, what Paul says is, while we're still in the tent, in other words, this body, that rises up as these little kids are being raised up, and shrinks and dies, and is packed up, as we do in death and burial, so too we'll put off this body. But while we're still in the tent, Paul says, look, we groan. Because we're burdened. Another translation says, we sigh because of our anxiety. You ever use that in your text messaging or, or writing to one? Sigh, you know. <sighs> right? Groan. I thought about this word groan. Anyone, does, does anyone groan? I mean, like just you think about this like, that's kind of weird, but... But we're in here, right? Our soul, like you're down in there somewhere, located in the body, and yet our body groans, does it? Like when I, when I get up in the morning, my feet hit the ground, it sounds like popcorn sometimes. You know, my knees are just going, I don't know about anybody else, but they're just popping off. My feet are popping. Everything's popping on me as I make my way to the shower where I hopefully can be renewed and stop popping. But I'm groaning in a way. And sometimes when I... When I sit down, I'm like, oh, you ever make these grunts? I actually looked up the term groan, (laughs) and uh, here's the definition. Make a deep, inarticulate sound. Anybody ever do, like, am I alone in this? Like, oh, we make these sounds, right? It seems like the older we get, the more sounds we make. Um, An inarticulate sound in response, notice this, in response to pain or despair. Moan. Whimper, cry. Make a low creaking or moaning sound when pressure or weight is applied. Anybody with me on groaning? I think we can all say, I think we've groaned at times. This body, this, that's what Paul's trying to point out. He uses this great, great image here. In this tent, 
that we've all cleaned up today and zipped up and all, hopefully, we groan because of the weight, because of the anxiety, because of the pressures of this world. We groan. Now, groaning isn't complaining. Complaining is something else. Groaning is one thing. It's when someone lays away, oh, you know, or, or like when I, <laughs> I, I do this thing with the kids because my dad sort of did it. But when I pick up something really heavy, I go, heave, you know, because it's kind of a controlled grunt, right? Instead of, I just do heave. You know, it just sounds more manly, I think. Um, and so I heave it up, I, but we make these grunt, but it's not complaining. It's not, I'm not complaining when I, when I heave something. And I, I oftentimes think of my papping. Uh, because as his body deteriorated, he groaned. And I was with him roughly eight years in Mississippi in close proximity where I saw him regularly. And as you know, we really do shrink when we get older. Because the stuff between your vertebrae gets softer and you literally shrink. And he did. And oftentimes I would place my hand on him, on his shoulder, that became his bony shoulder. And I would say the same thing, and I just love you, pap. And he'd say the same thing back many, many times. It's etched in my head. He would say, there's not much left to you, pap, son. He never called me grandson. He always called me son. And I've thought about that a lot. Not much left to your pap anymore. He understood the weight of getting old. He understood the weight of the world. Anxiety and all the things that come with medical procedures and prodding, poking, x-raying. His tent was weak. But his spirit was not. His love for God was not. And I've thought about his saying, there's not much left to you, Pap, and he has grown over the years. I don't know if you've lost a loved one, but sometimes when you lose a loved one, they grow. Their importance grows even though they've disappeared, so to speak, even though they are not with us any longer, he grows in my heart. His impact grows in my life and flows out in all sorts of ways. He was right in one sense that there wasn't much left of his tent, but he was wrong that there wasn't much left of Pap. Because Pappy was a great man of God. Not a famous man of God, but a great man of God. Not a well-known man of God, but a great man of God to those who knew him. He finished well. 
And now that I look back, I see something. And that was, he was germinating like a seed. (laughs) And this is going to be crazy, but he was germinating into all that God wanted him to be. Even in death. Even in old age. Sure, Pappy went the way of all people, which is, he died. And he was planted in the ground. And every time I go to Mississippi, even recently when we were there for Thanksgiving, I go and view his grave. Not because he's there. You follow me? I don't talk to him while he's, I, I may say something if I want to in my own personal life, anywhere I might be. But he's not there. This was preached at his funeral. He's not there. He's no longer here. His body, the tent, is there. And and just as a seed is laid in the ground and germinates and becomes something more than what it ever could be, this is what happened to my pappy. Those same eyes and that same body would rise again. And it doesn't matter what happens to your body. God can raise it up again. And we need to take hope in this. That he will rise again and all those who have been planted in Christ will rise again. Even now, Pappy is with Jesus. And he is becoming larger than life on earth to me and to those who knew him. He's forgotten by some, but not by me. Not by his son and his daughter. Not by his two biological grandchildren. Not by the four adopted grandchildren. And the many, many more. Because Pappy was a very popular guy at church. And here's why. He always carried candy around. If you want to be really popular at church, just carry candy and give it out to children. This is what he did, and the kids loved him, and he, he, he was like a grandpa to so many. He was like a father to so many. Pappy had received the Spirit because I asked him directly. And it was a very momentous moment for me. I was in college. He was in the hospital. He was going to have a surgery that was pretty serious. He could not make it through the surgery. And I finally mustered up the courage to say, Pappy, do you know that if you did die, that you would be found in Christ? He said, I do, son. I love the Lord with all my heart. Don't be afraid to ask that question to somebody who's on their deathbed. To somebody that you love that's not on their deathbed. We need to know. I needed to know. And I've had peace ever since that moment. And it gave me courage to ask others when they've been in that predicament, are you ready to meet Jesus? Or is there something we can deal with right now? That's hard for a young person to be asking an older person that question. But it's necessary. Paul says, (laughs) just, just again... He who has prepared us for this, putting off of the body, right, has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What better guarantee could He offer us than Himself in us, in this mortal 
dying body, he places the seed of immortality, of eternal life, in us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to celebrate at Christmas. Well, Paul continues here. He says, so we are always of good courage. I mean, rightly so. Honestly, at my pappy's funeral, I I did part of it. My dad did the other part. I wasn't sad in the way you would think you would be. Because I knew where... We had not lost pappy. I'm sorry for your loss. No, I know where he is. I didn't lose him at all. Um... I know exactly where he is. He's with Jesus because the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he is with the Lord. I'm sad I don't get to talk to him and it makes me sad in that way. But I wasn't sad that day as those who don't have hope. And here's why. That's what, so we are always of good courage. We know that we, while we are at home, this is verse 6, in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And by the way, we must not make this body our final home. That's why we do things at Advent to prevent ourselves from getting too absorbed in the body. That's why, interestingly, I hate to break this news to you, Valentine's Day is Ash Wednesday. (laughs) So on this day of love, we're going to be putting ashes on your forehead, telling you to remember your death and to act accordingly. That's going to be an interesting Valentine's present, isn't it? Be an interesting date night, right? You know? Have the mark of death upon you. But isn't that our whole life? The weight of death, doesn't it? It rides over us all. It's on the backs of us all. We all are close to our last breath. Closer than we want to be. But there's good news. The last breath can be a first breath. Because the breath of the Spirit can be blown into our hearts. Not 20 years from now. Not 10 days from now. This very moment. And what a thought that is. But don't leave it in the thought compartment. Move it to the heart. Move it to acting upon the good news that is being presented today by the Holy Spirit of God himself. Hallelujah. He says, we don't walk by faith. Or sorry, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. He repeats himself. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's not what you do in your head. It's not good intentions. It's what you do in your body. This is why space matters. Not, not the frontier. Not the Star Wars kind of thing. I mean, the space you're occupying now matters. And where you put this space and plant this space and proximity to this and that, it really does matter. 
I've talked to many people in our band meetings, which if you want more information on our bands, we want to start more. Uh, these are intense discipleship groups of three people, basically, three to four. In our bands, many people have told me, look, when I'm away, when I go travel or when I go do this, I just feel disconnected. There's a reason for that. It's because of the space you're taking up. Nothing wrong with traveling, per se, but we must plant ourselves in the right spaces, and spaces matter. Tent, tabernacle, home. What you do in your body, and Paul clearly says here, everyone will stand before Jesus. Everyone in this room and outside of this room that has ever lived or ever will live will stand before Jesus and be judged on what we've done with our physical body and our physical actions, not in our head, not good intentions, not a good heart or whatever we say in the South. Bless their heart. At that point, it'll be based on what you've done in your body. So where do we go from there? Paul helps us out here. (laughs) Uh, Because that is quite a sobering thought. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, because that really should bring fear, shouldn't it? It does for anybody that uh, is not perfect, which I think qualifies all of us 100%. Um, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are also commending, sorry, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For, notice this verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What a powerful few words that is. We persuade men because we fear the Lord. We love them because the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all. Why? Because we all died in Adam. Now, (laughs) here's where we reconcile this thing to Jesus and the baby and the nativity and the teenager and the adult and the crucified Lord and risen Lord. Here's where we connect that. Thanks be to God, we have a brother from another mother. It's not disrespectful to say this. For... The Holy Mother is key to our salvation. In her body is a virginal conception. You say, okay, miracle, I've heard that, yada, yada. No, 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 follow this. It is not through copulation that 
what was in her was there, but rather by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit without sex. It's okay. Still unclear here. This different mother is key because there is no human father involved. For every human father has the seed of Adam and is the seed of Adam, not what is conceived in her. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Father by the Holy Spirit. Which means Jesus has no original sin running through his veins. Nor does he have a sin nature. He is not under the guilt of Adam. And yet, and yet, Paul tells us at the the end of this passage that God laid on him our sin. He became sin who knew no sin because he is from the Father, not a human father. What a powerful gospel that is. And it puts a premium on the virgin birth. Virgin birth is not something ancillary to be believed or not to be believed. It is to be believed. Which is why we confess it every Sunday. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Joseph, no doubt, is important for many reasons. We won't go in now. But Joseph passes the seed of Adam, but not in this virginal conception. The virginal conception and birth proclaims this loud and clear for our salvation. There is one man who can save. One man alone who can save. One man alone who can stand in the gap for us. One man alone who when we stand at the judgment seat before God Almighty, we have a brother on our behalf. We have one that knows well our human weaknesses. He knows what it's like to have a headache or be sick or die. He knows. And he will be our mediator. The one that mediates on our behalf. Now I know Johnny Cochran was a great lawyer. He truly was. Brilliant. And he had this little saying, if, it, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. And that one little saying, according to many scholars about the case, planted the seed in the jury that they could not get over one phrase. Well, I've got news for you. We got a better lawyer than Johnny Cochran. And he doesn't have to come up with gimmicks to plan in our mind. One word will fail him. The enemy, that is. One word from the word of God himself. And the good news is Jesus already proclaimed that word over all of us. All we have to do is receive the gift of God today. It doesn't matter what happened in 2017, he can forgive it. It hurt people. It hurt you. It hurt the world. Everything we do does. Or it helps. 
There's no containing sin. Uh, It's impossible. It hurt everybody. We mustn't forget it, but he can forgive it. We must not act like it didn't happen for those who still need our forgiveness. On this last day of the year, what better gift could you offer to somebody? Jesus will later say, if you come to the temple to offer your gift, but you have something against your brother or your sister, don't even offer it. Go to them and make things right. And this is what Paul, notice 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, when we look around here, we see a bunch of flesh. I don't see your soul. I don't see your heart. I don't see your intentions. And the older I get, the more thankful I am for that. But I do see your flesh. But I shouldn't just see your flesh. I should see that every single one of you is a child of God that can be something more glorious than anything ever written about in fiction, ever dreamed about by humans, or painted on a canvas. He wants to make you more beautiful than anything we've ever laid eyes on. That's how we are to view one another now. Not just as the flesh and according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Why? Because now we know He's the risen Lord. (laughs) Yeah, He's still got the same body, but it's been glorified. Read Revelation 1 for the new Jesus in town, if you will, and for the coming Lord who will be adventing upon us. Notice these last words here. This is the key verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making His appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now be thankful he wrote wrote that clear enough to where there's no commentary on that. We've been given the Spirit, verse 5. We're always of good courage, verse 6. Persuade people because we fear God, verse 11. The love of Christ compels us. Like a boat motor compels the boat. No longer for ourselves, but for Him, verse 14. We don't regard anyone from a human point of view, verse 17. We have the ministry of reconciliation presupposing that we've been reconciled. Verses 18 through 20. And then finally, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as we look to a new year, tomorrow can just be another day, really can, or it can be a glorious dawning of a new year and a new you. A you that is found and grounded and rooted in Christ himself and his gift to us of the Holy Spirit. We've been doing a lot of waiting in Advent. And we'll be doing a lot of waiting in Lent. There's a lot of waiting in the church year. But this is not a passive waiting. This is a waiting like a linebacker before the play unfolds. Linebacker's in ready position, right? Yeah, this is my ready position, right? You know, you got to get down. You can't just be... This is not how we're called to wait. We're not called to lay up and wait. We're called to be in a ready position. Is that your position as you enter 2018? Are you in a ready position to receive from God? To, to literally, if the spirit blows left, you're turning left. Spirit blows right, you're going right. Forward, backing up, you're ready. Ready, position. Behold him. Behold means to thoroughly hold to. Let us see him with the eye of faith. Hear him with the ear of the spirit. Let us know the impressions on our heart and allow him to see the depth of who we are. Behold him. Some of us have been trying to walk with the weight of the world on our shoulders by ourselves. Please no longer. Instead, behold him. Why? So that we can have and become the righteousness of God. He is with us. Is he with you? Behold him, behold a new year. The old has passed away, Paul says. Behold, the new has come. Behold him, behold the new you. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In Christ, happy new year. In Christ, happy new you. Amen.